say good morning again. We are starting a new series. Yes, I'm excited for Colossians. We're going to be, we're going to be in Colossians, and uh, we're just going to read the first two verses this morning. And and before we stand to, to read God's word, I just I just want to uh, let you know personally. Um, and I know I say this every time I talk about it. It's one of my top favorite books in the New Testament. Um, uh, for me personally, I, I felt that preparing for this and, and going through this and getting ready for this, sad to see Joseph's series coming to an end, but to see um, Colossians unfold. So this morning, we're just really going to do a, a long introduction. Uh, if you like history, great. If you don't like history, great. Um, hopefully you'll love it anyways. But uh, if you are able to stand for the reading of God's word, we're going to start right in Colossians 1, uh, verses 1 and 2. There's some guys coming down with Bibles. If you need a Bible, uh, please just wave your hand. It's yours to keep forever. Again, we're going to just read the first two verses in Colossians. And it reads, This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God, our Father, give you grace and peace. Let's pray. God, thank you again for this word. Thank you for a new series. Thank you that uh, we get to come and gather freely and we're not uh, persecuted in such a way where we have to have church underground or hidden or in secret that openly, Lord. Thank you for your word that we are a generation and several generations now that have your written word inspired by you that we get to read, Lord. So, Lord, as we enter into this new series, I just pray that you speak to us anew. Even if we just uh, recently read Colossians or this is new to us, speak to us in a whole new way. Lord, uh, give me the words to say. Whatever you want me to say, I say. Whatever you don't, that I don't. Prepare our hearts. We love you so much, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. <clears throat> So uh, preparing for this, uh, getting ready, praying through, all right, God, we're in the Old Testament, probably going to jump to the New Testament. What is it that uh, we should talk about? And going back and forth and talking to several people, uh, Colossians uh, just came to me and going through it and breaking it down, and we're going to be in Colossians. It's only four chapters, uh, but we're going to go all the way up to Easter in it, and it's it's going to be a great time, and, and I'm excited uh to, to teach and have David and Chris teach and um, excited to see where the Lord leads. But one of the, the, the big themes that right away that stood out to me is whenever I was reading about Colossae and this city, you could put Modesto right in there. You could put any city really in the United States in the Western Hemisphere here and, and many places throughout the world, you could exchange that name that city name for our name because a lot of what was going on at this time is still going on. We may call it different. We may come up with clever ways, but um, one of the big challenges and themes that I found reading through this was the question that I have struggled with in my life that you probably have struggled with. And maybe if you haven't struggled with it in a long time, uh, for those who have been believers for a very long time, it's probably one of the biggest challenges that people come and ask you about your faith. It's probably one of these situations that you face regularly if you don't live under a rock and don't interact with people. If you go out into the world, you probably are challenged 
by your faith. And, and there's a, these challenging questions that Paul addresses here that challenges us. And again, it's the questions that we struggle with. And that question you're probably waiting for me to hurry up and ask is, um, is Jesus really enough? Is he really enough? Is Jesus really the solution? Is he really all that I need? Sometimes that's not exactly how people ask it. Some people say, you don't really believe in him, do you? He's not real, is he? he he's probably just one of many ways. He can't be the only way. That sounds so exclusive. And uh, David uh, taught in, in John, and in, or in Joseph, rather, uh, about how inclusive it actually is to sound to be exclusive, but... Um, but the challenges, and really at the heart of those questions I have found throughout my life, is really that question that people are asking whenever they're challenging you. you may it be a nice conversation, may it be over social media where they're blowing you up with all kinds of memes, is really, I really think, does God really love me? I mean, really, does he really love me? Or, does he really love my family, my family member? Does he really love my friend who has done this? Can God possibly love someone like me who has done and name off the list? That's really what the question is, even if they don't know what that question is. And maybe that's the question that you're asking here. Uh, and is he enough? Is, is Jesus really Enough, And this has been a theme that has started from the first temptation with Adam and Eve at the very beginning. If you remember it, one of the greatest lies that we are told are one of two things right from the beginning. Jesus isn't enough or that God didn't mean what he said. Have you noticed that? Well, that's not really what God meant. And I'm not talking about interpreting scripture. I'm not talking about standing here and teaching it or when you do your study. I'm talking about the Bible says something I don't like, so God possibly doesn't really mean that. And I mean, right at the very, very beginning, we see that, right? When Satan told Adam and Eve, told Eve specifically at first, God really didn't mean that, did he? He's holding back something from you. God isn't enough. And this is Colossians. And this is what Paul is dealing with about is Jesus enough? Spoiler alert, he is enough. So we're all done here. We move on to the next book. But, but really, let's walk through this over the next several weeks and see why Jesus is enough. This is such a beautiful letter. And, and, and one thing that I want to point out, a lot of people argue about a lot of things about the Bible. That is one of the biggest destructions within the Christian community for ever since Acts is we know it better than you. And theologically speaking, this is what this means. If we just take a moment just to realize that this was a letter Paul wrote to a pastor who was in desperate need to help his church. If we keep that in the forefront of our mind, I think it will help us move through this. Colossians is really all about Jesus. Uh, if you read through Ephesians, you hear and read themes that you'll hear in Colossians. You'll hear words like Jesus' supremacy and sufficiency 
And, and not only is this Jesus' the supremacy and sufficiency for the people and for the church, but he is enough supremacy and sufficiency for the entire world. So Ephesians talks about Jesus for the people and for the church. Colossians talks about it for the whole world. Now, I just used some really churchy words, and I stumbled through them because I practice really hard, and I don't speak theologically to my children necessarily. And, and uh, I was told right from the beginning when I, I felt the call to be a pastor, one of my teachers said, if you can't explain it to a five-year-old, then you truly don't understand it. If you can't take these big theological understandings and teach it to a five-year-old, then you don't quite understand it yourself. Well, I don't know much then. Um, that's how I felt initially. And I feel like more and more growing. But I just want to take uh, the, just, uh, just a moment, these churchy, these theological words, just in case you don't know what the meaning is, quickly explain them because they will be a theme throughout this as we talk about that Jesus is enough. And if you already know, you can just shake your head in agreement. Uh, if you disagree, you can throw tomatoes. Um, I, I said that one time, and a tomato grower said, well, why would you ever throw tomatoes at a pastor? And I said, why would you ever throw anything at a pastor anyways? But whatever. Uh, so, yeah, so just shake and nod your head. If you disagree, that's fine. You can disagree with me later. Uh, but really, I, I think that the most important thing is just at the very basics. So the word supremacy, what does it mean that Jesus is full of supremacy, is supremacy. What does supremacy mean? It means that the authority Jesus has is because he is God. Uh, more simply, Jesus is God. He's fully God. This will play a big role. Uh, this, is be- this is what Paul is dealing with. Some people were saying, oh, Jesus isn't God. God just made a little clay figure and made Jesus. No, Jesus was there at the beginning. He is God and he came down in human form, fully God. Supremacy, he's fully God. Sufficiency, sufficiency uh, that Jesus alone is what makes us complete, forgives us, restores us from our sin. He is alone. It's not Jesus plus something. It's Jesus, Jesus. That's what sufficiency is. And again, Paul will be dealing with this. In this, in this atmosphere. This is why he's writing it, because people will say, well, Jesus isn't enough. Here's all the things that you have to do in order to be a real Christian, or specifically at the time to be saved, or the term the way. Uh, the term the way was what Christians were called at a time before they were called Christians. Oh, the way. So as we go through this, I just, there's, there's three Three big areas I want to touch on this, this first message. I just want to talk about the Roman Empire just to give us a grasp of what was taking place. Uh, because I think if we could just teleport to this time, we would see it. I think sometimes it's difficult to read something and not know the full weight of the situation without being there. So at the height of the Roman Empire, it, it covered over 42 Hundred miles, 4,200 miles. So compared to the United States, the United States is like 3,300 from coast to coast, roughly. All right? So it was 1,000 miles larger. It was a ruling nation for 1,500 years compared to the U.S., the United States of America, who I think we're going on 253 in July. And from what I can see, this is the first nation and empire to create mixed cultures. And uh, they built something like 50,000 miles of roads. 
that ran from England to India. And I know England's an island, even you get the point. But what it did is it immediately made this large, vast world into a small world that was really easy to get a hold of. The, the, the thing that I compare it to modernize, Rome did to, the, to this first century what the internet did to us in the 20th and 21st century. I mean, right now you can all go on your phones and you can listen to your favorite pastor, right? You can look up, you, some of you probably look to see if I said sufficiency correctly, if I gave you a right definition, right? Supremacy. You may even be right now playing a video game on your phone. That was weird, everyone looked up. Um, <clears throat> right, you can look up anything that you want. I mean, do you remember, I, some of you don't remember because you're still in school. Do you remember when you had to go to your grandparents' house to go to the encyclopedia the, to, get, to look up things or go to the library? And uh, like, that was awful. Like, you just made up stuff because you were lazy. Maybe this was just me. But now you can look up any word, any sentence, anything at all. And you can do a Google search and it, it's so proud of itself that says 0.52 seconds, you have pulled up a million different things. But here's the problem, just as it was a problem in the Roman time. Which one of those links that you click on is the right one? Right? Are you like me that automatically goes to page nine to find something that's weird? Or do you just click on the first one or two? So when you are searching up supremacy, the supremacy of Christ, if you look it up, and I did Google it, I selected number nine and I started reading it and I was like, I hope no one ever selects this. Like, it's the English in it is about as bad as my English. I mean, it's so bad and so wrong. I mean, even whenever I, so what I do in preparation is I, I send what I'm going to teach uh, to, to the guys in the back. And it's usually Mark who puts together the slides. And then he texts me back and he says, well, how do you want to spell Colossi? There's like two different ways. I don't know. You pick, and he picks. So if you don't like it, blame Mark. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> All right? And, uh, and I was like, I, I mean, if you look at the NLT and the New King James, it spells it one way. If you say it phonetically, and, and I, I don't know. I don't even know if I'm saying Colossae right. But if you look at it, the the Roman world, what they did with all of these roads, it created this commerce. It created this mixture of different nations, different ethnic, different people group, all coming together to make money. And as long as you said you were Roman, you could do basically whatever you wanted. Now, that may sound good at first, but it's really bad. You can do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt someone unless they deserve it and if you can prove it. It got so weird. So there was this mixture of backgrounds, of religion, of everything that was all coming together for a quick buck, basically. You know, I I compare it to where I grew up in North Long Beach. Uh, It was a little rough. It was ghetto. I mean, I don't. But one of the my favorite things is there was, as we said, and forgive me if this sounds crude, there was one of everything in North Long Beach. There was one of everything. So I mean, when we would have these big block parties, the Tatangan people and the Samoan people would roast a pig for like two days in their backyard. And the people from Cambodia would give us these different kinds of, I can't even describe it to you. 
And then across the street the, the, from Latin America, we had the greatest tacos. I mean, you could eat everything that you wanted. And here I am with a cup of water, right? So here you go, right? So it was just this big mixing, this big blending, all coming together. And one of the big things that Rome prided themselves on was how big they were, but also they had the saying, Pax Romana, which means the Roman peace of the empire. You, if you are within the, if you're Roman, you're safe. Everything is peaceful. And it was. Inside, you didn't have to battle. They had everyone fighting for you. That's why a lot of times, most of the times, when Jesus is talking about the peace I leave with you, he's saying, hey, this Roman peace is garbage. Because you're just going to want more. And have you noticed that? When you were 16 years old and you first got your first job and you were excited to make minimum wage, whatever that was, 475, I think, at the time. You're like, 475, loser, right? Um, right? You were like, yeah. And then when you got a raise of a quarter, you're like, I'm in heaven. This is the best day of my whole life. I'm never going to want anything else. And then when you bought your 1972 Dodge Dart and rebuilt the motor, hey, I'm driving a limo. What else do I need? And then you graduate from high school, and then you're like, hey, you know what? Everyone else has a cool 1990 Honda Civic. Like, you want more and more. And then maybe you even say, when I get married, just a small house, and then you have kids, maybe just a little bit bigger. You see where I'm going. When I retire one day, it's going to be the golden years. But you know what else I want is a vacation home, maybe six of them. Maybe a helicopter going back and forth. You know, you go and go. So where you start with this little bit of peace, all I need is just one more thing. You quickly realize it's not peaceful. Because what you do is you want more of it. And this is really what the Romans did. They offered all the peace and easy living as long as you paid your taxes, said you were Roman, and you didn't cause issues. You could believe whatever you want as long as you didn't cause issues. So that was what was going on at this time. Now, Paul, who's Paul, uh, I won't go too much into his conversions, but he was a persecutor of the way of the Christians. He was a Jewish zealot. He was really smart, and he pleaded and begged, let me just go kill the Christians. And then on the road, uh, uh, Jesus met him face to face, knocked him off his horse. He converted over, is the greatest evangelist, pastor, teacher ever, besides Jesus. And... uh, He wrote these letters, most of the New Testament that we have. And specifically, what Paul would do as a missionary is he would go, stay a couple of weeks or a month, then move on from city to city, town to town. He got beat up. All these bad things happened to him. But right before he would leave, he would establish a church or a group of leaders. He would establish elders, say, I'll see you later, and move on. He was always moving on. He basically told... Uh, the other disciples, hey, you guys take care of the Jewish people here in Jerusalem. I'll come visit you. I'm going to go take care of the world. That's real bad paraphrasing, but you get it. He was a missionary. He was going out. But something happened, and in Luke 19, it tells us, Luke tells, or Acts 19, Luke tells us, that when he got to Ephesus, he stayed there for two years. And this, was, this is on his third missionary journey. He was there, and 
Instead of just staying for a few weeks, a few months, he actually stayed for two years. And he went to Tyranus, and it was like a school, a public area, well, like this big public area. And first he started to, to teach in the, the synagogues, but then he, he got kicked out of it because the Jewish people didn't go in. So imagine like this big university campus, and he's standing in a rented space to teach. Uh, and I'll read it to you. I'll read uh, Acts uh, 19, 8 through uh, tend to you. It says, Then Paul went to the synagogues and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing pervasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message and public, publicly speaking against the way, Christians. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall in Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Now, we can quickly move over that, but some translations may do it a little bit better. He preached every day in this hall for two years. That's crazy. Every day for two years, he preached. In most translations, it says in the province of Asia or Asia Minor, and it would go on and it says, both Jews and Greeks heard the word of the Lord. So everyone in this area heard the word of the Lord. And why was that? Because these roads, this 50,000 miles of roads and all this commerce. So picture this. He preached for two years. Everybody in this huge area that spanned something like 2,000 miles or something like that, everyone heard the word of God. Everyone heard the word of God. So don't skip that because it's important for this. Because he stayed there to make sure that everyone heard the word of God. Now, I'm sure there's people who are missing from our congregation that's not hearing the message today. So if it was Paul, he'd go to the house. He'd preach. You know, he, everybody was coming to hear this. Everywhere was hearing this. And at that time, there was a guy named Ephraim. And he, was, he lived about 120 miles away in Colossae. He either was converted during one of these times he had already heard and he converted. But he was moved so much by what Paul said. And he said, you know what? I need to go to my hometown and start a church. Most scholars believe that when he went back home to Colossae, there wasn't a single Christian except for him. So imagine that for a moment. You hear the good news. You believe in Jesus Christ. You're like, I got to go home and tell everybody. Not just tell everybody. I have to start a church. So 120 miles away. He would go back home to Colossae, a small little town. Uh, people argue about how big it was. It doesn't matter. It was a small town, and he started a church. And, I, and, and real quick before we move on, Ephesus is really one of those true heroes. Because I would imagine that maybe half of you, maybe more, I don't know, has heard that name. Some of you may have never heard that name ever before. He's one of the heroes, I think, for me, because Paul, everyone knows Paul. You've been a Christian for like 10 minutes. You probably heard Jesus than Paul. It's probably that. But this guy heard the word of God, thought, everyone in my hometown needs to hear this good news. He's one of those guys that j does the right thing, that cares, that's moved so passionately that people that he cares about. I imagine, and, I, and, and, and I've heard stories of when people have come to Christ later on in their life, 
they receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. And one of the very first things that they think of is, I got to go tell mom. I got to go tell dad. I got to go tell my best friend. Oh, how am I going to tell my best friend? Even the stories, I was talking to my brother this week and and, uh, or last week rather, and he was talking about, he was sharing with me about someone who came to Christ and, and uh, he came to Christ and he said, how am I going to tell my wife that I'm a Christian now? How am I going to do this? But he did. So imagine this. And I would imagine in here there are quite a few Ephesus in here who you've heard the word of God and you've made a difference. And maybe some of you don't think that you are. But if you consider where you work, you might be the only Christian there. Some of you at school and junior high and high school, middle school, in your group of friends, you may be one of two, three. Maybe your teachers, some of your teachers aren't. But that great desire to reach the loss. We all should have this great desire, but it's been my experience that some people, and then we talked about the impact, they have this burden that God has placed on their heart to get up, pack everything, and go somewhere. Learn a new language, create an alphabet, take your skill set, and do it. So that is where he is at. So after being, again, in, in Ephesians for two years, Paul then goes back to Jerusalem. He gets arrested. Then he reveals, oh, by the way, I am a Roman citizen, so you have to do the right thing. You can't just kill me. So they sent him to Rome on a ship. So in prison, while waiting on trial by Nero, one of the super worst guys of all time, top five at least, uh, he's there and he's writing these letters. So Ephorus, he, he starts this church. This church is probably only about five years old, which is interesting because we're a church of four years old. The difference, though, is there's multiple generations of Christians in here. And probably some of you, your parents, your grandparents, and so forth, has been Christians. He starts this church with brand new believers. He's a new believer himself. And within five years or so, there's been a lot of issues that are starting to take place. They're doing a lot of great things, but there's a lot of this mixture of things. It's just, again, like that Google search. Well, which one is the real truth? And all of these people's, people are bringing in their different ideas. You know, my example of growing up where I did, I ate roasted pig and I ate tacos and I brought a cup of water and I ate from here and I did this. So which one was good? They were all good and it just kind of, the flavors started to mix and which one was the right one, which one was the true one. So Ephesus has this heart and he says, you know what, I got to go see Paul. But Paul, since he was shipped to Rome, was 1,300 miles away. So he walks, he rides, he jumps on a ship, he gets to Rome. And I'm assuming his plan was to, hey, I'm going to talk to Paul, get a letter from him, some notes, go back, correct some of the issues. The problem was that Ephesus was arrested and thrown in jail with Paul in Rome. And we know this because in uh, Philemon... uh, 123, it says, basically, Paul says, hey, by the way, I say hi, but so does this guy. Well, specifically, it says in his letter, uh, it says, uh, Ephoritus, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. So he's locked up. So this letter, so imagine this. This guy has a heart for his church. He starts his church five years later, some issues. He travels this big distance to talk to Paul, get a note. So he says, look, this is what Paul says. It's really good. This is what's going to go. Tychonus, we know later on we'll read, is the one who ends up bringing the letter. So this guy has this heart 
for his church. Now, what was going on at this church that was so desperate that he had to go and see Paul? Interesting thing is Paul, again, he didn't start this church. And this church was a little small church. I don't know how big. In a little small town. He didn't start it. But there was an issue. And again, remember that he's writing this letter for a pastor to read, to teach, to explain some of the things that was going on. And about six years later, an earthquake comes through and totally destroys this city in Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. And Turkey isn't interested in uh, excavating and and looking into it yet because it was a small town. But yet this is where Paul writes a letter. So what was going on at this time? Again, the church was five years old or so, and and there were a lot of people groups in Colossae. There were these Christians. There were these Romans who believed in every kind of God. And they also, there was Gnosticism. We'll talk about that in a moment. And then there were Jewish people. So you put them in a bag, you mix them up, and that was your church. And again, so Paul, again, over and over again, stresses some things. And some of the things, and, 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 and one of the problems that I have, that, that we have, is it would have been really nice if we could hear the conversation of the specific problems that he came and brought to Paul. We are only hearing one part of the conversation. That's how we put it together. So some of the things is, while they're in church, they want, that some people felt, we need to worship angels. That's what we need to do. They're super special. They talk to Mary and Joseph. Um, they need to be worshiped. The Gnostic people was the secret knowledge and, and at the, the Roman time, everything was based on thought. How smart you were was how holy you were, how good you were. But they also felt that everything in the world, all matter, was sinful and bad. And the smarter you got, the higher you rose up, and the further away you can get from all the sin. Well, that's dumb. I've noticed that the more that I learn the worse of a sinner, I realize that I am. But they felt that the smarter you were, so basically they were, they were tearing out who was holier and not. And they also felt that the smart elite people should be the one who ran the church, not the people who loved the Lord. And the smarter you were, the closer to God you were, or gods you were. And then also, there were Jewish people who converted over to Christianity and these Gentile people, the people who didn't have any belief or another belief, when they were coming over to Christianity, the Jewish people said, hey, wait a minute, you have to go and be Jewish, and then you can be Christian. Because we've been Jewish for all this time, so we know how to do it. So you have to be circumcised, you have to follow these customs. So imagine that, you have a church where everyone believes in something a little bit different, and Paul is writing, wait a minute, pump your brakes here. Jesus is enough. He has atoned for our sins. He is enough. Because one of the other things that they were really practicing is, is abusing themselves. Uh, Anticism, severe discipline or self-denial in order to become holy. You do something wrong, you'd beat yourself on the back. You wouldn't eat nothing or take any water because you were so sinful. Not to fast, but because you weren't worthy. You had to do all these extreme things They were still practicing that you had to self-mutilation if you did something wrong. So this was the church that was going on. And again, these Jewish Christians thought they knew better. These Romans were saying, we also got to bring in some more gods because he's not enough. So again, when, when Paul writes this letter, 
And he says, chosen by the will of God in verse one to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. He's saying his authority. Look, Jesus stopped me right in my tracks, changed my world. My brother Timothy is with me. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God, our Father, give you grace and peace. And this is where, this is what Nero held against him, saying, you cannot offer grace and peace from God. It comes from the Roman Empire. And our history tells us that Paul was beheaded eventually by Nero. So again, what was really going on, the reason why when people are coming and fighting and saying, well, a little bit of this, all roads lead to heaven. Well, you don't really believe in all of that. Again, that question is, is Jesus enough? Does he love me? Is this truth that we're hearing enough or do we need more? Can we, can we get by and skip the things that we don't like? Okay, I believe in Jesus, but do I have to live the way that he wants to? So I spent some time and I, I tried to really go back and think of the first time that my faith was challenged. I accepted Christ at a very young age and and I try to think back and, and, and some of the things that took place of being challenged by my faith where I thought, huh, I don't know the answer to. And, and, and uh, one of the first times when I was a kid, I remember telling my neighbor, I'm going to VBS. And he said, what's that? I don't know, but I'm going to VBS where we play soccer, we get stickers and we learn about Jesus. VBS, Vacation Bible School. I didn't know. I just knew that stickers and Jesus, that was enough for me. Well, who's Jesus? He's God. Who's that? God. Like, I mean, I didn't know. I was just like, let's go get some stickers. I mean, like, let's do it. I never considered that. That was someone asking a question. I mean, I was a kid myself. You know, and then I got older, and then I remember junior high, middle school, whatever we call it, and someone you know, we'd have a big night. It says, invite your friends to youth group. All right, invite my friends. Hey, you want to go to youth group? What's that? Uh, it's a group of kids, and we learn about Jesus. Who's that? Uh, God's son. Who, wh- what? What's that? He saved us. From what? Sin. What sin? Oh, I don't know. Like, I wasn't equipped. I didn't know. And then I'd come back, and you tell your youth leader, this is the situation that happened. And then we do a whole series on apologetics and sharing your faith. And then, and then you get all puffed up. At least I did. I was like, all right, I'm ready for it. I'm ready to fight. I don't believe in Jesus. Let's go, bro. You know, like, let's, let's throw down. And then, oh, that's the wrong way to doing it. You know, and then, and, then, and then you challenge in high school. You don't really believe in that junk, do you? You don't really believe in Jesus. Lately, more so. That means you hate this group, these people, this thing. Wait, 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 wait a minute. And my, my default answer is, if I hate anyone, then I'm doing it wrong. If you feel that I am hating you, and I am hating you, then I'm doing it wrong. So you're seeing this whole thing playing out in our lives. This is what was going on then. You know, in your own life, if you're cautious of how you share your faith. Some of you have shared that with me. Well, you know, we have this policy at work where we can't have any verses up on my cubicle because it's offensive. So maybe if I just place the verses without the reference, no one will know. Or I don't care, let HR come to me. 
Or we brought over cookies to my neighbor and we were just saying, hey, are you interested in a church? And they slammed the door but took the cookies. You know, these different things. You don't really believe in that. You've been persecuted quietly, differently. Not physically harmed. I hopefully not. Maybe some of you. But you're challenging your belief system. And this is what Paul is dealing with. He's dealing with that first question that Satan placed into the ear of Adam and Eve. Did God really say that? Is Jesus really enough now? Yeah, but I have... Can he really forgive? And again, at the beginning, I do totally 100% believe that deep down inside, people have heard the good news, people who have heard the good news and who are rejecting it are at a point, they may say it's not logical, it's not this, it's not their experience, they had bad church experience, on and on and on. Deep down inside, they're saying, does God really love me? Can he possibly love me? And maybe if he loves me, can he possibly love my neighbor? Can he possibly love the fact that I did this and this and this and all of these awful things? How could a good God do all these things and yet still love me? And this is what Paul is addressing. So for the next several weeks, we're going to unpack that and see really the supremacy of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, that it's Christ alone who has died for our sins and that is enough. And it is enough to show and to know that yes, God really does love you. And yes, he really can forgive that sin. And yes, that sin that you committed a million and two times, that one too. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we've had. Uh, just as a big introduction to, to Colossians, Lord. And I just pray that today and for the next several weeks as we go through your word, we just want to be reminded that Christ is enough. Pray for anyone who has any doubt in that, who is struggling with that, who's feeling that. Is Christ really enough? And we know the answer is yes. And yes, you do love us. So much so that you sent your son to die for our sins. And it isn't Jesus plus something else, our works, our behavior, our this, our that. It's Christ and Christ alone. Lord, as, as we've uh, reviewed what was going on at that time and see some parallels, some similarities of what's going on in our life with a mixed bag of things that are coming in, Lord, we, we want the truth to be true in our hearts, that we follow it. And yet some of the truth is hard to, to follow, to believe in, but yet at the heart of it, you love us, you sent your son, and it is true. It is true because you said it is it is true because you are true, you are perfect, you are sovereign, you are our Lord. So Lord, we're excited to continue to worship you in songs now. And then, Lord, we just pray that you speak to us again. We're excited for all that you have in store as we walk through. We're thankful for Paul and his letters, Lord, that we get to read them. Lord, we don't want to take for granted that we are a generation that has the Bible. And we just talked about a time when there wasn't a Bible. There was the letter that was being passed on. And yet, this movement, this saving grace has withstand the many years. And so we are here today to worship you. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.